0: Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. I'm your host, Rafe Kelly. At Evolve Move Play, our aim is to help you cultivate a more meaningful life and a more heroic self by reconnecting deeply to movement, mindfulness, nature, and community practices. This podcast was created to bring the best and brightest minds in all of these subjects together to better understand how we can create an empowering and sustainable ecology of practices for personal growth. If you're interested in being part of this ongoing conversation, the best way you can support us and get involved is by joining our Podcast Plus membership. By joining, you will get backstage access to our live podcast airing once a month, as well as a private question and answer session with me and our guests after the show. On top of that, you'll get access to our thriving online community where you can continue these deeper discussions with people all over the world who are just as passionate and curious about these topics as you. More details about the membership as well as the link to get signed up are in the description below. And Whether you can join, be sure to like, share, subscribe, and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every Monday when our episodes drop. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy the show. The Brothers Hash. Josh, Trevor, it's good to see you guys. It's been a while since we've seen both of you at the same time. Um, Real good. Uh, Welcome to the Evolve and Play podcast. It's a pleasure to have you
1: thanks for having us excited to be here
0: yeah Yeah, thank you so i was watching back through some of the content through strength side and i was thinking about what would be the best way to 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 kind of approach the conversation here and i was thinking it'd be fun to i I do think it'd be really interesting to walk back through some of your guys sort of journey through movement culture because i think in a lot of ways you guys have been sort of very like an index of where movement culture is going, right? If you go, I, I like, I hope anyways, but you've been pretty good predictors up till now. Like I remember going back to the, uh, like if you go back to the very first videos of, that you guys were putting up with Strengthside, it seems like it was very strongly influenced by some of the stuff from out of CrossFit at that point, particularly like Kelly's Tourette stuff. And then later we more into the ground flow stuff and all the stuff that was coming out of locomotion and movement culture. And then you guys have been incorporating parkour and this broader, more philosophical aspect to it. So I'm I'm curious to just get you guys to to sort of share how that story developed from your perspective and how these different things came to be uh, big influences for you. So both of you guys start in traditional team sports, and then both of you guys suffer pretty traumatic injuries that sort of change your perspective. So why don't we start this story there? Josh, why don't you get us started?
1: Yeah, so you, you pretty much hit it on the head, Rafe. Um, when uh, me and Trevor were in our early 20s, um, we both uh, got done kind of playing college sports. Uh, I played basketball at university for four years, and I didn't really know what to do with my training besides just um, kind of what I had been taught there, and that was like this blend of like weightlifting and CrossFit style of workouts, so I got into that, and then I got kind of interested in like powerlifting and bodybuilding. And um, for me, like my body just really started breaking down. Like I, 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 I essentially think for me, like I had some injuries from basketball. I had some stiffness in my body, and um, it didn't love the heavy weights and. Eventually, like I had a meniscus tear. And I was like, what can I do now? Um, Well, like, I've seen some of this gymnastic stuff, maybe let me start taking a look at this. And uh, around this time, I found Edo Portal, I found GMB Fitness. And I was like, Oh, okay, this is this like, different way to move my body. And it's not so impactful on my knee right now. So I'm going to do this for a while and uh, see how my body likes it. Let my knee heal. Then I'll get back to deadlifting heavy weight, Right. Um, But my body loved it so much that I I never went back to to deadlifting and squatting heavy. Right. That just kind of took me down this path of um, getting more into movement culture and what that had to offer, starting to explore different capabilities that my, my body had, you know, like kind of bringing back some athleticism from those basketball days that I had completely lost. And um, I just found that exploring different avenues of movement was uh, far more fulfilling than than just kind of trying to like feed my ego and, and put more weight on the bar every week. And essentially, strength side has always just been like a reflection of like where my path
0: has has been going, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've, I've been down that journey, heavier deadlifts. I, uh, <laughs> um, uh, Trevor, tell us a little bit about how that all played out for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> pretty similar to Josh in that played a lot of ball sports, played a little bit of uh, college basketball and college football and uh, had a pretty traumatic and chronic injury, where my my shoulder would dislocate all the time. Uh, at one time, I was just putting on a shirt and it came out. And so, <clears throat> I I kind of went to the <clears throat> went to what I knew. In that, like I knew that I could do these barbell lifts and like use dumbbells and stuff. And it's so such a controlled environment that I'm not in, at risk of injuring my shoulder again. And so it was almost like uh, an avoidance in a way of 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 anything physical uh truly physical in that sense so um <clears throat> so i went down that path and then similar to josh like started feeling pretty pretty beat up you know gained a lot of weight got really strong but ultimately felt awful and so <clears throat> um you know J- josh started exploring these other things got me interested as well and i also um i also realized that this avoidance of really just like using my shoulder at all, like overhead, it was, mm-hmm. um, was a reflection of like a little bit of a piece of myself. And like, you know, we're talking about meaning here, like taking a, taking a step towards um, working on this thing I had been avoiding, what really opened up my eyes to see what else I've been avoiding in my life. And so, um, so you know, got into handstands, got into some gymnastic stuff, movement stuff. And, and now, um,
0: yeah, I mean- now I'm here talking to you. Nice, yeah, that's great. So, so you play basketball, uh, Josh, and uh, and Trevor. You were a football player in college. Uh, both basketball and football.
2: Basketball and football. Okay. And how do you
0: think that that kind of that perspective from team sports impacted the way that you came into seeing moving in a broader uh, broader sense? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead trevor
2: okay um well it's actually interesting i think <clears throat> for me personally almost all of the movement stuff i had done up until the last couple of years was almost <clears throat> I, I feel like a rebellion to team sports i was almost like trying to um decondition everything I had learned because a lot of the cultures around the team sports, at least that I played, I didn't feel were very productive. They, they were all about like um, uh, really beating down your body. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a culture that I didn't resonate with. And so it's been interesting over the last couple of years to come full circle and really um, fall back in love with some of the ideas of team team sports in general, like, uh, like this idea of general athleticism as it, as it applies to like so much more than, than maybe what, a, a like movement culture might say it is. Right. And like, that's, that's being, that's working in a team often. Right. I, I love, uh, my buddy, Kyle, uh, who you've had on the pod path podcast, Kyle Finchman. He, he said the other day, he's like, back in the day, I mean, I'm not going to if I'm going to pick up a log, I'm not going to like train to pick up a 350 pound log by myself. I'm just going to recruit a few guys. You know, we're going to do it together and have a good time while we're Mm -hmm. doing it. And so that's kind of been my mentality over the last few years.
1: Yeah, I feel uh, I feel similar with uh, with getting into parkour. It brought back more of this this like feeling of like in my early days of basketball, like you just go to the gym and we'd like play open gym for hours, you know, and you just hang out with your buddies in between games. And uh, just like that brings so much to my to my life that, that there was a big piece that was missing from this like personal exploration practice that, you know, I spent a lot of hours just alone, just putting in reps and doing my thing. And I think there's value in that. But when uh, I started getting back into more of this community-filled movement, it's like, man, that is so fulfilling when you're just with people, um, having a common goal, or just for the pursuit of just being out there and uh, experiencing together. I I I really love it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I have a sense that for a lot of people who come into the culture, team sports are kind of negatively coded. Yeah. Right. Either someone like you came in who had right, the culture wasn't a culture that was supportive, and it was like, okay, I'm, I'm finding this this other place where I can actually really cultivate myself in a way that I want. Right. And now, now it's in contrast to it. But I think a lot of people. I have this theory that a lot of the people who are really attracted to parkour or movement culture, they're they're kind of athletic people who are kind of small. Right. They're not real big, and team sports are mm-hmm. so rewarding of physical size that if you get punished for not being big enough, like, and you find something where you get to be one of the better athletes and you get to really just kind of cultivate yourself and and not have that aspect of size, all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, this is great. Right. This is really rewarding for me. And, and I'm going to look down on that other, you know, all those, uh, you know, bros with their, their heavy lifting, you know, smashing each other. But a lot of what people talk about as far as what we're supposed to be cultivating through movement culture, to me, I see a ton of value in in, um, in the team sports, actually. I remember I was at one of the Movement X workshops and the coaches there, um, that's a new portal for people are wondering, um, the coaches there were like, you know, Professional football and baseball players are not good movers, and yeah. I was like, "Really? We don't think they're good movers." And and then we were doing this this like spin pattern on the ground, this ground flow spin pattern, and I I had this image in my head of a shortstop doing the exact same pattern while catching a ball going 120 miles an hour,
3: turning right. it, and flipping
0: it second like base to turn a double play. And I'm like. I think that guy, what he has is more valuable to me. That ability to not just access the pattern, but be able to really solve a problem with the pattern. So I'm curious for you guys, as, as guys who came from that culture, have you seen that aspect of the culture and how do you see that relationship?
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, I have always kind of wondered like, as we take these tennis balls and go to play a game that was made up three years ago and walk right next to a basketball court, would there be more value in just stopping to play basketball? You know, like, I i, I don't know the answer to that. But um, I do think that, like, people that I played with in, in as I grew up are like amazing athletes and uh, like you can't you can't teach that right like you just learn that from from being in something and and playing and experiencing it um and you know this may be going in a, a little bit of a different direction um but um But I, I often wonder also why a lot of these great athletes that I play with essentially stop, like, after their career ends, they stop moving at all. And, like, I want to be like, guys, like, come join what I'm doing. Like, there you can take this so much further, but it's, it's almost like the internal mo- motivation is, like, not there anymore. And, uh, you know, it, it sometimes makes me sad. Like, I, I have these, these people that I'm like, man, you were so – good and like i want you to keep on finding different outlets to put that like that that fuel into um but it's not always the case right
0: yeah i think about the idea that i think something has gone wrong with the culture of team sport right it's like it's not that the team sports themselves aren't amazing tools for what we might want to cultivate it's like we've adopted this frame that's broken i've been thinking about this it's 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 a, it's a, I feel like my, my wife jokes that I'm collecting potential PhD theses that I'll never be able to, uh, <laughs> to do but this is one of them which is this idea I that, see that <laughs> like so what we've evolved with with involvement play is this idea that ultimately movement is about character development and I've heard you Josh talk about the same idea right your your approach to 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 movement has slowly grown into like how is this actually reflective of a a greater orientation towards character development. But that's actually how the team sports start, right? The, um, The famous, so almost like most of the games that we play around the world today professionally were invented in the boarding schools of England in the 18th century so cricket soccer rugby and then the american versions of them football gridiron football and then basketball and volleyball were invented as variations on the same sort of themes right right all that comes out of this this one educational tradition and that educational tradition was all about cultivating it was, it was really about cultivating individuals to who could be good servants of the empire right saying mm. was that the, The Battle of Waterloo was won upon the playing fields of e. Gymnastics, if you go back, it's the same story, right? The guy who founded uh, gymnastics, Jan, he was he was calling back to the gymnastics of the Greeks, which was based on this whole idea that that the Germans were actually the the real descendants of the Greeks. Getting some racist history. We don't need to go deep, (laughs) but 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 it was there was something about national character that was supposed to be being developed through it. Mm. And competition, if we look at that word, it goes back to this idea of, um, it was it was in contrast to war. Competition is how you get together with your friends to become strong so that when the enemy attacks, you're strong together. And I think somehow in the professionalization of sport, we've lost that and it isn't something that you do in order to become a better human, it's something you do in order to gain glory, like war, and to gain money, right? Loot the uh, loot the enemy village. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a frame problem, and I like I ran into this in the in my my practice because when I, you know, I started parkour, and it's like, well, what is parkour? And we we didn't know in the early days; we didn't have really good communication with the founders. Um, mm. And I I think I sort of took the the meaning system from team sport and imported it to parkour at professional sport. I was like, build the competitions, compete in the competitions. And then eventually it was like, well, what happens when you're done? Right. Right. What happens when, you know, you get to be the first in the world to do this. And then in parkour, it's like two years later, 14-year-olds are better than you were at that thing that you were the first in the world to do. Right. So that was a bit of a, uh, a rant, but I'm I'm curious how how yeah tell me tell me how that reflects for you. How did you come to to view movement as about meaning or as about character development? Well, uh, Trevor
1: kind of stated it earlier, but I found that when I went through my my injury and I completely had to change what I was doing and and found this different trajectory. Just in that, I found that my character started changing. My personality started changing. And, um, you know, uh, one thing that I'll always love about Ido Portal is that he inspired me to just prioritize my movement practice. You know, I I went from this kind of like mid-20s guy, post-college who was just really unfocused into like, hey, I'm going to take this thing seriously. And I'm going to um, really go hard at my movement practice and at developing strength side. I'm going to put all my energy into that. And you know that allowed my life to kind of like take shape and, and everything started being geared towards those goals and all that excess uh, BS that, that was going on in my life. It just dropped out you know, gradually. Um, and then I just started seeing this come up over and over again. Oh, like I never thought I'd be able to do a Stalder press handstand. I train it for three years and I get it. Okay. Like who cares about the Stalder press, but wow. Like that was a journey that I went on. I was so far from it. I finally achieved this thing that I didn't know if I'd ever be able to do. And like, I gained so much from that journey And then you just start seeing what other journey can I take? Like, what, how, how can I, how can I keep building, uh, my, my work ethic, my character, like my, also my ability to sacrifice and to surrender to what is, um, all these things are just like, that it's my movement practice that teaches me, uh, how to be a better person in my life or rather just the person that I want to be in my life. And, um, yeah, it's, it's so exciting for me. Like, I, I, I,
0: just, I want to keep going with it, you know? Yeah. For some reason, when I think about how, how movement practice can kind of colonize all the different aspects of the self, I always remember the scene from, uh, the Chinese karate kid where, uh, where, uh, Jackie Chan tells, uh, you know, um, Jaden Smith, the Gung Fu lives in everything you do. And that's it's such a cool idea because within within that that system, right? Like, kung fu doesn't mean martial art; it means good work. Mm. It's this idea that that this fundamental process that you apply to something like martial arts—it's actually just—it's just a window into the process you apply to anything that you're trying to right,
1: right, yeah. And the biggest part is that the biggest part is that you just show up for it, you know. And I I see doing this thing with strength side and the people around me I, I just see how much like the people who just are willing to just not quit and just keep going like they eventually just find a lot of value in it and um, and, and and the people that stop are always the people that have to restart and and um, yeah i think just showing up becomes like this huge part of life Trevor i'm
0: curious to hear your 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 side of that story, how the how the character development aspect developed for you.
2: Um <clears throat> for me, oh, man, I had a really interesting, interesting um kind of beginning to to movement culture. I think before I got into before, you know, I was just like powerlifting at the time and and throughout my whole life, I really didn't have an outlet to express myself. Um, I think sports was the only way I really knew how to um, almost be myself. And then without that, I was a little lost in the world. You know, I'd train, I'd train and then I'd party. And like, that was the cycle, you know? And then, um, and then finding this like more embodied self, I found a way to express myself better um, or more fully. And, and I think that's where I saw Uh, a direct connection between how I use my body, how I, um, how, how I train or just navigate life in general and and how that can translate into me being a better person. And, and I see that for myself and like everyone's journey is unique. And so everyone's, everyone's, um, lessons they learn through, uh, through movement can be different, but I just saw the power of how it changed my life personally. and, And I, and I hope to, to just like shed light on that for a lot of people. Cause I, you know what? I recently started going to a commercial gym for the first time in like maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years. And it's, it's nuts, man. Like, you know, I, we get so wrapped up in our little world of like, mm-hmm. mo- you know, movement, like, you know, like trying to, uh, trying to really just, just like isolate and like make things better. And, and then we go to the gym and, and the culture is still the same as when I left. And it's all just about, Beating yourself down until, um, so that you can you know check that box that you did something physical, or you know, or potentially like just get so obsessed with how you look that you forget to think about who you are. And so, I, I hope that we can you know just like spread this message to so many more people that are still a little,
0: um, maybe
2: lost, you know, like I was.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I just started, uh, I, I sprained my ankle in November, and uh, so. Uh, tomorrow is the two month anniversary. I haven't been able to do parkour for, for two months. It's it's almost there, but it's not quite there. Um, so I've been training at a regular gym, you know, cause it's just hard to do it in the cold and get everything done. And it's nice to have the equipment, but it's been a real trip to be in a, uh, in a traditional training environment. The first time in a decade, you know, or more, um, but it's been good. It's like, there is, there's, there's, there's useful tools there, right? If you know what you're trying to get, it's, it's not a, it can be a, it can be a good there, there's something to learn from it as well mm. I wanted to go back to something you said um, Josh because I thought it was interesting you're talking about the idea like when you encountered Edo and movement culture you it 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 helped burn off kind of the stuff about yourself that wasn't serving you right and it gave you a really intense orientation focus and It reminded me of, I really like a chapter in uh, Jordan Peterson's book, Maps of Meaning that he talks about apprenticeship and the necessity of apprenticeship, Um, that you have to, like we, in our culture, we really celebrate being a leader and we celebrate being free. Um, And a lot of times we don't recognize that you kind of can't be a leader until you've been a follower Mm. and you can't, you can't get free until you've learned how to be a servant of something.
3: Hmm.
0: And so, by by you know, essentially, almost making yourself the slave of this one thing, then you can you can let go of all the other chains that are pulling you in a thousand different directions. And once you're there, and you've adapted your central identity, and you organize yourself around that central identity, you lived up to it. Then, if that frame, then if you can break that frame, then you get something like freedom. And, uh, and I think that it seems to me that a team sport could, could, could be a like football player is an identity, basketball player is an identity, but somehow movement culture was an identity that it was an apprenticeship that you went through that catalyzed something that was more powerful for you than the previous apprenticeship in, in being a basketball player. What do you think was the difference? I mean, does that, that whole frame, does that make sense to you? How, do you, how does that
3: resonate?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very beautifully put. It resonates a lot, a lot. And, um, it, the first thing that pops to mind is that, um, you know, I, I, I loved playing basketball and, and, and I, I grew up playing basketball and our dad is a, uh, he's an athletic director. And when I was really young, he was a, he was a basketball coach at a university. And, um, just that really shaped like my trajectory right there. I thought it was the coolest thing to hang around and uh, like be with the basketball players when I was just like 10 years old, you know, and, and, um, but on the other end of that, I think that I didn't, you know, I was so young that I don't know if I consciously made a choice of like, this is what I want to do with my with my life. And, um, at the end of my college career, I was really ready to be done with it. And probably a lot of that comes from the, uh, the, the more like, uh, societal aspects of being competitive in sports and whatnot. Um, but then when I, when, when, when I decided to to do this movement culture thing, and when I dove in, it was like, I'm making this choice. And this is something that, for whatever reason is like really interesting me right now. And it's really inspiring me. And, you know, I'd, I'd like watch YouTube videos of various uh, movement people and Instagram. And I would just like really feeling like all about it and inspired. And um, I think that was very important to like have that passion in me. Uh, I, I can't quite tell you why that was so much more interesting to me than other Forms of um, sport and movement and whatnot, but it but it was for whatever reason it sparked that and uh, and yeah and, and just like you said, like there was just that period that I had to go through of, of just being fully immersed in it and really being all about it, and um, then like I think we've seen a lot of people eventually want to break out of it and and put their own spin on it, I guess, or their
0: own creativity onto it, but um, yeah that definitely yeah you know the bruce's famous thing of right like absorb what is useful reject what is useless and add what is uniquely your own yeah you have to start with absorbing right
1: yes like, this yeah. is what i
0: want to be absorbing this is the things that i can push away so that i can focus on this and then eventually there's enough grounding that it's time to start adding your own unique voice
1: yeah and essentially with like the youtube like you you said like early on it was like crossfit style and um at the time it was like i i was very into kelly Starrett, and I, I really liked watching Kelly Storette youtube and when i started the channel it was like that's all i knew how to do was like try to be kelly Starrett, you know and there was probably like a year or two of trying that out and then eventually you know like you do this thing and you're emulating and then like it gets internalized and then you can put your own uh creativity on it and you can become yourself you know but i think there is that period of time where you have to like kind of copy somebody or 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 do something that's already out there before you can create something new you know
0: yeah I'm, i'm thinking about my son for some reason because i'm thinking about this like he's he's starting to enter like the second stage of childhood with the, the third stage of childhood. you are a little bit more of an older child. And you, you start like eight year old, he's seven and a half. It's like, that's the age when you like might decide that you want to be a skateboarder. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You might want to adopt some kind of identity. Yeah. And obviously he's got, he's got me and what I do as a potential thing to, to be oriented towards. But I feel like if he gets trapped in that too early then it'll actually make it harder for him to adopt that frame in the end, if that makes sense. Yep. And so I'm like making sure that he's playing, you know, he plays rugby, he plays football, he does whatever team sports he wants. He's trying not to be too, too like on top of him, making him do anything, but he's this week, he learned to do a Kong precision for the first time and it was amazing. And then, then last night, he almost got a front flip in our living room um, just off the ground. On the ground wow wow i'm so excited about it you know yeah but i think about like i think in a traditional culture there's like children are basically kind of in a woman's world up until a certain point and then young men are taken away and they're they're given an initiation process and then there's an end point to that initiation process in which you you're then an adult and that's actually something you want to be. it's like in our culture if you're a, if you're a football player, it's like, this is the best it's going to (laughs) get. It's going to be, your goal is just to stay an initiate as long as possible. Yeah. And then make a bunch of money as an initiate. Right. It's like apprenticeship forever or apprenticeship is as long as you can get paid to keep being an apprentice. And then you have to be an adult. And that's kind of like a disappointment. Yep. So I think that's, that's a frame that doesn't really serve in this setting people up to take on the stages of life effectively. So I don't know. That's I just agree. a thought.
1: I <laughs> agree. And well, uh along that same kind of thought there, um me and Trevor were recently having a conversation that like uh in in you know I th- I think you would say it would be similar for you, Rafe, that um, you know, you weren't like I'll speak for myself. I've never been at the top of a sport. I've never been competitive in a anywhere near a professional level, but, um, because I've just like invested a lot of time and energy into learning and to like really going deep into things, I'm able to like do this strength side thing. And I've been able to make movement a career that, that pays me well. And, um, that is something that I, you know, think is important that, uh, it, that there is different ways to, to be in the world. And if you don't become a professional athlete, you can still find ways to, uh, make the thing that you love, like be what, what you do on a daily basis, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. The, the stories we have are so hyper-focused on the, you know, tiny, tiny percentile that turn into, michael jordan or lebron james or right um and not how there's actually a community of people who are able to sustain themselves and grow and contribute um in that in that uh, arena yeah so that's of the story has gotten broken yes exactly i wanted to go back to uh you know we've talked a lot about this now we're talking a lot about this uh, intersection of of the team sport and movement culture but i, I particularly was wanted to bring this up also because i'm remembering return of the source last year right i'm remembering you know we, we played a game uh, king of the hill right so we had and we'll, we'll publish this on our uh, on our um on our youtube soon so if you're if you're listening you can you get to see this but uh played a game where we had a bunch of athletes at the bottom of the hill and there was a ball at the top of the hill and you had to try to get to the ball and bring it down to the bottom of the hill. And then there was, I think it was four athletes in the middle and they were trying to tackle you on your way up. And if they could stop your forward momentum completely then you became one of the sharks. So Trevor, of course, volunteers to be one of the first people to to be a shark. And when he comes down off of that game, just grinning ear to ear, right? And you're like, that's the first time I've tackled somebody since, I think it was since, since college, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we came up with this game, King of the Course, where we were we had teams, right? They were trying to advance to the end of this obstacle course from two different ends. And trying to knock the other team out on the way, um, and it, it brought something really special out for all the athletes. So, as someone who comes from a team sport background, I, I'd love to hear you talk about how that what you got out of that and how that impacted the way that you're thinking about what this movement thing is that you're pursuing.
3: Yeah, that was pretty
2: dope, man. I've, I've done it a few times since then, I just gotta say it's been super fun setting it up for other people, and everyone always has the same uh the same expression everyone's just so lit up you can feel the energy um so I, I think like for me you know the 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 most important thing i got from return to source was just like um like really feeling excitement again because i think often like thinking back to team sports there was there was a spark there were like we were excited for friday night going to play you know under the lights and at, at some point, either um, by your choice, you decide that you're done with that, or you know, like you said, like at some point you just have to stop playing because you're not good enough to keep going. And so, <clears throat> um, oftentimes you lose that excitement. And then, like, luckily, Josh and I found something that excited us again, right? And it, and it brought that up. We were exploring all the stuff, like, whoa! I never thought I could do a handstand. I never thought I could do a flip. I'm, like now. Now I'm exploring those things and it's all, it's all super exciting. And at some point you get to that point where you're, it's, it's not, it doesn't have the same spark. You're, in, you're refining your craft. And that's a super important place to be. I think there's so many lessons to learn in refinements and yet there's still room for you to be excited about something else. And so like, I felt that so deeply at Return to Source. And I uh, returned to the source and I, and I came back from that with uh, intentions to continue exploring new paths. And like, that's how I've gotten into parkour and <clears throat> and stuff like that. Cause it's, I'm just like, man, like there's so much more out there. Why stop with what I've got now?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I just have to say, I, I didn't get to play that game. We've, not, we've, we've, we've done King of the Hill before, but we hadn't done King of the Course before. Um, but I was injured at return of the source. And so really didn't feel like participating. So I got to play it at the next one at at Adam retreat. And I was the same. I was just like, man, the moment I wrapped somebody up in a form tackle and just smashed them into the ground and then was able to like bounce out and shoestring tackle the next guy. um, That was, that was a great feeling. So highly recommend it to people. And I, you know, I think there's actually something important here, which is we've been talking about your background in team sport. We're also talking about the idea of, of character, right? Why, why movement develops character? But also there's this question of how do specific movement practices develop character? What are the aspects that you need? And I have this sense that there's something, there's a baby in the bathwater of team sport that's been thrown out in that ability to handle contact and chaos and in working together with people and like, if you want to be a good mover, are you a great mover if you can't do these things? So that's that's just a, a challenge for us as a community, right? But, you know, have you guys been playing uh, paying attention to World Chase Tag? Yeah, A little bit. Yeah, it's cool to see that. And I was thinking about that uh, in reference to the earlier point that I made about, like, the adoption of the identity and, and the relationship of, like, how do the older generation sort of work with the younger generation in adopting an identity? Like, if you don't know the story of World Chase Tag, it's pretty fascinating. Um, the Christian Duvaux, he, he had this really athletic son, Orlando, and he, um, he, he couldn't get him to do any team sports, right? But he could see that he had this, this physicality to him and he wanted a way to express it. So he started organizing through meetup Uh, tag competitions and Orlando got really into that so then they looked up competitive tag on YouTube and found a video from Parkour Visions our old gym the the gym I co-founded of a part of a competition and in the comment section of that they found someone who had a connection to the chain store the parkour gym in London and so then they started organizing the competitions in the chain store during the winter and that's how the parkour community and world chase tag Got mm. connected, mm. so then World Chase Tag takes off, right? But Orlando just starts pl- turning parkour, and he adopts the identity of a parkour athlete. And now he has Team Fat. He's the you know one of the the main guys in this new parkour team, Team Fat, which is coming up as one of the top parkour teams out there. I, Absolutely, I, I,
1: I love their videos. Excellent.
0: Yeah, yeah and Orlando's amazing, right? He's so good. But yeah. uh, when I interviewed Christian and and Damian, they were like, "Yeah, he lost interest in in tag completely." But now they did a one on one competition over the summer, and Orlando just crushed everybody. And so they're like, "When the world, the world, the world championships come up, you know, maybe maybe he's coming back to that identity." I think that yeah, was a cool example of how you can kind of invite your child into adopting one of these identities you have to give them space to adopt identity that works for them and then let them go right yeah and then maybe they come back maybe they're like oh well actually world chase tag is kind of a cool expression of parkour so maybe they'll come back there
1: yeah absolutely and i i think like what's important is that like he had the spark to he followed the spark right he got more interested in parkour and he went and did that and like you said maybe he'll come back but like I think like facilitating these sparks for for kids and for for young adults to like pursue what you want to pursue and I I think like for me you know going back to like this whole movement culture conversation that's kind of where it started to what's the right word I don't know fall apart for me because it was like well this is movement but it's it's also like this this narrow like uh list of things that you can do that are movement but like i think the movement perspective is just really like what's interesting to you and like go just like follow that down and like get really uh invested in it and and then like if that something else catches your eye and you want to follow that then go do that right um but i think that's really important that we that we do that for for as many people as we can we we give them something to to follow and to get passionate about
3: yeah
0: it's interesting i think i think about like this sort of like the story of team sports sort of reached a point where it was kind of broken and then the fitness story was broken. It's not working for people. Hmm. So you had, yeah. I think of the 80s is kind of like the, the peak of a certain way of looking at the body. Super isolated, super specific, all about yeah. us And then it wasn't working, right? It's not sustaining itself for people. And then all of a sudden CrossFit happens, right? And I think like CrossFit... Like I, I'm not sure how many people see it this way, but for me, CrossFit is the forefather of movement culture. You know, it's like parkour and CrossFit start almost start at the same time. And, and so many guys who are team sport athletes who aged out of team sport or or just not even just team sport, but sport in general, they reached the end of the professional trajectory. And they win over the CrossFit. All right. And then CrossFit got, became this huge, giant phenomenon worldwide because it was like the way for people to have community and competition around movement. Right. Everybody can do. And CrossFit had this idea of the generalist, right? I went back and read the, go back and read the original CrossFit documents. They talk about human beings as like arboreal or brachiating animals, right? Like the, the way that they describe the generalist is so movement culture-esque, right? So you have only play-esque. And and yet it ends up becoming specialized, right? The whole idea is not to be specialized, but then really it's just about work capacity and it's a relatively small number of movements that allow you to express the most work capacity, right? You you don't do a ton of skill work. Like early CrossFit had Stalder presses in, right? Shit. Do you know do a kip up and then you're like 10 kip ups and 10 shoulder presses? You know, that's that's like a like an early doublet or something, like that, right? That yeah, and then all that yeah. takes too long to educate the athletes to have skills. Right. So we're just gonna like have a few handstand push-ups, really crappy handstand push-ups. Right. Um, all the gymnastics kind of gets taken out of it. And then Ido comes along, right? And it's all in those same circles, right? Because Sommer, Christopher Sommer, is the guy who, who's like Dragon Door, and Somer's there, and Somer's stuff's getting picked up by, by CrossFit, and all the CrossFitters are doing Sommer's gymnastic stuff. Ito becomes super well known through the Som- Sommer's Forum, right? And then right. it's like the skill end of movement that was completely abandoned by CrossFit becomes movement culture. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And it's attracting in a lot of the same people. I think it started to attract in the, the yoga crowd a lot more. Right. There was the, the the self-cultivation end starts to be recognized, I think, at that stage. Mm. But again, it's like to me, the big mistake of movement culture is the idea that that, that movement is just movement, right? That there's no hierarchy within movement. Mm. Because I think I think it's very much a postmodern, movie because there is a hierarchy. It's totally hierarchical. We just won't tell you what the hierarchy really is, mm. right? It's like there's no meta narrative except the meta narrative that we adopt, which will totally smash you guys for not adopting. <laughs> but we'll we'll deny that there's a meta narrative, right? Um, yeah. So it's like you got to be strong on the rings. You got to be super flexible. Got, I mean, touching. I remember when, when everyone in movement culture was touching their nose to their toes. Right? You remember that? Yeah, I did. I was know. like, "How <laughs> you do <did> that?" <laughs> <laughs> How close is this actually to, to, to some kind of function? Right. And then <laughs> right. I have like apprentices of EO's who'd be like, "Yeah, I had a lot of injuries right after I got that level of flexibility. It was really hard to maintain." Or yeah. the one-armed yeah. handstands. Everyone was about the one arm handstands. So I talked to Yuri yeah. Marmerstein, right? Um, uh, and Yuri was like, I spent two hours a day to three hours a day for three years to gain this skill. And I was like, well, I mean, that's impressive, right? What a journey. <laughs> but like, what if you'd spent that on jujitsu? Yeah, right. Where's the transferability, right? Where's the transferability? So, you know, the whole thing with involvement in play is what did the human body evolve to do? How do we prioritize that? How do we, and this was, this was my critique of CrossFit from the beginning too, you know, CrossFit had the idea of the infinite hopper of movements. The fittest athlete is the athlete who performs best across the entire potential set of movement tasks. It's like, that's great, but some tasks are actually more important than others. So how do you recognize the hierarchy? How do you say, well, actually, I would much rather be a good fighter than have a really fast frame. much rather do parkour. So for me, it was like parkour, martial arts, and and it took me a long time, but actually team sport, I think, captures a lot of those most fundamental skills. Can you change direction fast? Can you take a hit? Can you throw, catch, orient? Can you deal with other human beings? Can you move? I think about the idea of like... um, escaping like people think about self-defense as one versus one, right? But what about self-defense as like there's a terrorist attack and you have to get out of the downtown center of a city and everybody's panicking. And it's like you and six of your, your buddies are all there. It's Like who's going to get out of that situation best, a group of movement culturists, a group of parkour athletes or like a group of football players. (laughs) Like maybe you want, maybe you want your line with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your offensive I, linemen I, are going to get you out of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And it it's like uh, these these sports, like like basketball for me. I I'm biased there. I played the most, but uh, it's like you have to manipulate a ball, and you have to also be doing that in the context of other people moving around you, and you have to situate yourself right it's like these like exponential levels of of physical intelligence essentially in like um working with my buddy uh will brown he his ideas like really landed for me in that like okay like you want to build your physical capacity to be able to to do things but there's also this this huge other piece which is physical intelligence which is what we're talking about And in order to do that, like there needs to be some type of litmus test, or you need to be like experiencing these things in real life. And both these things can just keep on growing together, right? It's not like you have to put one on the back burner and just do one. Um, And yeah, that's been really, really valuable for me because I see as my physical capacity goes up with a lot of things, I'm able to learn. I'm able to learn things quicker, right? I'm able to adapt quicker and, um, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really nice process to, to just be in. But I think the, like you said, Rafe, the, the movement culture misses that, that physical
0: intelligence piece quite a bit. Yeah. It's funny because complexity is king, but what's more complex, right? Doing a one-armed handstand or a one-armed chin up or having to, you know, execute a pick and roll, cross somebody over, drive to the hoop. Right. right? Yeah, um, I- I'm going with the second. <laughs> yeah, I would rather have John Morant, right? John Morant's abilities—that's what I want. Um, so, um, it
1: looks like Trevor wants to add something. Yeah, yeah, please do. It. Go for it, Trevor. Let
2: me hop in here. Yeah, I think I think one of the issues that I see is like whenever you try to like organize and standardize something, like you sterilize it, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, think the, the issue with like movement culture and CrossFit is, is you take these really or organic ideas about human movement. And then you're like, all right, well, how do we train these? How do we like almost like come at it from a, almost like a physical therapist's perspective of like, let's, let's optimize our joints. Right. And like, let's optimize how we train and, and, um, everything is about, everything is in the, uh in the order of optimization. And yet, like what, like, I think I've heard you say it multiple times, Rafe, in different situations, like even sometimes parkour can be that way because we're only dealing with like right angles Mm -hmm. all the time. Like that's why you take it into nature because you, you introduce the complexity of an organic environment and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's the real deal, you know, like Mm -hmm. you can't standardize it. Um, and I just, I really, uh, I really appreciate how, how you are bringing that message out. And like, that's, I know
0: that's one of our goals as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, adding nature and adding people, right. The chases, right. So one of the videos that we're, uh, almost ready to release right now is all the chase tag variations, all the tag and chase games that we did at return to the source this year. And, um, so So it's awesome, right? Like to watch you guys chasing each other through the woods, but um, there was a a station that I gave to, I think it was, yeah, it was Rob. So Rob, Coach uh, Robert, one of our coaches, I gave him some basic instructions on how to teach this station, but I didn't actually, I wasn't actually there, I didn't get to see it. And so in the video, I get to see for the first time what he actually had you guys do. And he had you guys playing chase playing tag where you had to jump off a cliff land in the water and swim across to each other and then climb a cliff like and it looks so amazing like these scenes of people like diving into the water and swimming to try and catch the other guy it's um it's so exciting but that's an element that you're not seeing anywhere else right like here's your parkour skills but also can you swim also can you chase somebody also, can you be chased? That's where like, you know, when I get really passionate about that, you have a here, here's where it's all coming together. And I really believe that when we do that, that has the highest potential for that character transformation that we're talking about. If we put it, it has to be connected to awareness and meditation and dialogue. So that's part of the community. Mm. Right. You have to take the activities to that next level. Um. So yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like that. That's a nice pitch for the Embodied Movement Summit, which is all about these topics. Which is, you guys are going to be uh, uh, on the first day of a week from the day. If anyone wants to join, um, check out the link in the description. Um, I just figured I'd, I'd I'd take the moment to pitch because it was uh, it was connected to what I just said. Um, so. So I wanted to, if you you guys want to pick up on any of those topics and just run with it, you're welcome to. But I also wanted to go back to how parkour specifically has become a kind of central practice identity for both of you guys since over the last couple of years. So did that happen with you first, Josh, and then Trevor for you, or was it kind of the same time?
1: Yeah, I think I was a little ahead of Trevor. Um, Probably... It's been about two and a half years now, something like that. Um, and um, yeah, so my, my journey into parkour was like, it was very, it was very like in the beginning was just really basic stuff, you know, doing some rail work and, and, and really basic precision jumps. And then over the last you know,
0: year, what was that? I just have to ask, right? That, that came from me though, right? Oh, the, yeah. The Cause, uh, cause you, <laughs> go ahead am i right yeah it, well yes yes i would say you're right <laughs> it, it cracked me up because so i i've trained with stefan dubu right and i yeah. trained back in the day right so the second time i ever went to train with Lido, um he saw me doing precision jumps between two bars they were about that thick um so not super thin right and it was about seven feet off the ground eight feet wide and uh, he was like, "I would never do that. right? It's too afraid of heights." It was very strange to me. I was like, "Really? Like, it's just progression, just like anything else." Right. And we we had right. played this game where we did a bunch of like vault flow on mats, and all the creativity that he had, all the movement options that he had from that stuff was like amazing, it was super fun. It's like just just you can do way more. Like just come over. Like parkour is expands so much on this new culture. So then he met up with uh, with Stefan and the guys from the parkour generations and they did this Shoshin project where they, they taught each other their stuff right, and so I was, I was really excited about this at the time. And it, it ended and afterwards Ida was about the rail as a tool for for movement culture and so all these things happened with the rail and I was like is that is that it like that's that's all that's just
1: that's <laughs> all we're taking
0: <laughs> all, that's the one thing from all of parkour which is like okay that was, really that was disappointing. go ahead so you got into rails
1: yeah yeah well so to be fair that was that was probably like five years ago when i start first started just taking that from the edo stuff just balancing on rails and stuff like that um it, 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 probably about like two and a half years ago, I got more into like simple vaults on rails, different ways to mount on the rail, um, and then yeah, just slowly progressed. But Rafe, you kind of said it perfectly. Like what what it, my biggest interest of um movement in the last like five years has always been like ground flow. Like um you know, I I, I did capoeira for a couple years, and, and and I just love that that style of of Um, movement, low to the ground movement, animal movement, whatever we want to call it. And then when I started getting more into parkour, it it was just like, oh, like, now I can really just like use all of these things um, that I've been so interested in, like with an obstacle. And and that just like lit everything up for me. Just like, I have like a vault box at my house. I'll just be out in the driveway just for hours like just just you know trying to be creative with different ways to go over my vault box and that's what really sparked um parkour for me was just like the the limitless uh, um variations and opportunities that you can like explore right and and then I started getting more into the community and just like watching videos and That really sparked a lot for me because you can see how other people are, you know, being creative in their own ways and other people's styles and stuff. And um, yeah, it's just become like one of my biggest interests over the last couple of years and and really glad that I found it.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, I'm curious to ask some questions about identity there, but I, I just have to riff on this theme because it just cracks me up because like parkour is is it's just like movement culture in three dimensions right like
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> like I meet people who are boulders right and they're like oh man I wouldn't do parkour it's like it's I'm like you do parkour parkour you're just doing parkour on vertical-ish surfaces that's all yeah. that is right? right if you just add like gaps across things and like going up and over things then that's parkour right um and like Almost everyone who like, if you boulder, if you're a boulder, uh, boulder, uh, boulder who does it in nature, like you had to do parkour to get there a lot of the time. Yep. You jump a gap, thing that you're doing. It's like, yep. like, it's just taking the thing you're already doing and expanding the scope. And that's that's how I feel about, about a lot of the ground flow too. It's like, cool, but why always flat ground? Right, right. Like, we got Ryan Hurst in this uh, this this seminar. And I love Ryan. I love GMB, I love Mike Fitch and all these guys. And um, and, and Ryan talks a lot about like locomotion. Ito talks about locomotion. Yeah. Why is locomotion moving on flat ground on all yeah. fours? Yeah, yeah. Sprinting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Where's the sprinting? It's a pretty important form of locomotion. Or, you know, the most the, the best self-defense locomotion is swimming because you're way more likely to die because you drowned than, you know, because you mm. couldn't crawl under something or do Akita Jaheim's. Um, yeah. It's like, <laughs> how, how do you expand the scope, right? <laughs> what, is, what is the evolutionary function of locomotion? <laughs> right. To get away, you, right? Yeah, or to get somewhere. To follow, to get, yeah. To catch that that monkey.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I want to add is that for, 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 you know, for that boulder conversation, like um, it's, it's actually been really interesting with my, with an ankle injury and having surgery and I've been able to uh, do parkour in, in just like a different capacity. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 it's I've been able to like find these ways where I can just be a little bit softer or, um, you know, find ways around being super impactful, and a lot of people think what they what parkour is is just leaping off rooftops and taking huge impacts and stuff. And it doesn't have to be that; it can be completely safe for uh whatever your your level is, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's that's the that's the core thing is that there's something about parkour that scares people,
3: mm-hmm. right?
0: Mm-hmm. Like if you. If you simplify the scope to let's explore how we can move on flat ground, that seems to be way easier for people to adopt, right? Um, or even on a on a, a vertical wall or a, you know close to vertical wall, whatever you, you on a face, like somehow that simplification gives people a way in. Or even Ninja Warrior, right? Like one of the weird things that's happened for me is that. You know, I helped co-found the third parkour gym, or uh, fourth parkour gym in North America, first one on the West Coast. And I went from four parkour gyms to like 200 parkour gyms in North America. And then, well, most of them died because of COVID. But, um, but while that was happening, Ninja Warrior just took off. And now right. there's way more Ninja Warrior gyms than there are parkour gyms. right. Which, like, I have mixed feelings about, right? Like, part of me is, like, this, these weird, awkward, human-designed obstacles that really bias towards the upper body, they don't reflect as well as parkour, the type of physical skills that you would need in the environment. Yeah. Being able to do a salmon ladder should be less of somebody's focus than being able to do, like, a Kong ball. Right. Being able to, do or just wa- a climb Why a warped wall and not just a wall. Yeah. Right. But on the other hand, like we've started taking, we have a really nice Ninja warrior gym here in town and I've started taking my kid there and it's like, it's so much fun for him and it, it's a good culture, right? It's like, it reminds me actually of the rock climbing culture where they have these open gyms and the kids can, get, can just come and play and they just, they do parkour. Right. Yeah, Like you have to somehow, I feel like for, you know, this sounds somewhat hubristic, but it's like, if you've gone through movement culture, if you've gone through Ninja Warrior, if you've gone through team sport and you've come to this broader movement perspective, it's like, we gotta think about how do we, how do we recognize what's limiting people from, from adopting this broader scope? And how do we communicate it in a way, right? What's the reason why it was movement culture that was easy for you to go into and not parkour? Once you've got to parkour, like how do you keep the how do you open the bridge? So I'm curious for you because you you know you're in a position where you you've built this huge following, right? That follow you for kind of movement culture stuff. That's where you you built your your brand. And now you've been transitioning towards more of your personal focus being in the parkour space. Um, or even this broader natural movement space, and so you have to you have to communicate in a way that really works for and helps grow that audience, while also being true to where you're going as a mover. So I think it's an interesting question. Like, how much have you thought about that? How how we negotiate that?
3: <laughs> okay,
0: I hit the right question. Apparently, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's a really good question because, uh, actually, well, Trevor, you actually were, do you have anything to say on that Trevor? What was that? <laughs> um,
2: I mean, I'd say like, I think you, you touched on, um, something earlier, Rafe, that, that really hit home for me. And that's just the, the component of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for, for me personally, I know that like a lot of what I've become interested in is something I was, I was uh, fearful of, but also saw people like me being able to do it. And, and like, and so, and so that's my in to say, <clears throat> all right, let me try this thing. And so what was approachable for me was potentially standing on my hands. Cause that was, that was like something that's, that's like very, um, it's, it's still, there's not a whole lot of movement, right? And so like, but through that practice and then getting into some of like the locomotion and some of the smaller acrobatic movements, all of a sudden my, um, m- my capacity to, uh, to move um, and a, b- potentially approach some of these like higher feats of parkour uh was was definitely expanded and so I was able to rationalize moving towards parkour as as something that I could potentially do and jujitsu and stuff like that so um so so I think like there's there's a component of fear here that I I don't know how to put it into words but but I think it definitely plays a role in the barrier to entry to a lot of these things um and so yeah I don't know yeah can I say about that
1: Yeah. I'd love to add on that. I I think that, uh, yeah, that was well put. And, um, I think for strength side, like I wouldn't necessarily say like, it's such a movement culture, um, like portrayal it's, it's more like what we've really moved into is just like stretching and, uh, calisthenics type of work you know and what we found for a lot of people and like the reason why we've um grown a lot is because of this kind of like process of like playing sports and then what do you do after sports you just go to the gym and you do these traditional like uh bodybuilding type lifts and like everybody just seems to get stiff by the time they're 25 30 35 whatever it is 40 um and we need a way out of that right so what we've really like just given to the audience is like hey here's some simple ways that you can start changing that you know you can take care of your body with some joint prep with some stretching um and i think like the audience has kind of like it it, it, it what we're trying to do is like spark this thing for people that like movement can become more part of your lifestyle. And it doesn't have to be this, this separation thing of I go to the gym, I do my, my three gym workouts a week. And then that's it. It's like, no, like movement can really support how you feel and like the quality of your life. And then from there, we can offer you some more things. If you want to keep going with that, you know, we can offer you the, ground movement we can offer you the uh the like the muscle ups or whatever right if you want to keep on pushing that journey and like you said like i'd like to find a way that we can give these people who are more into it to offer um more of this parkour aspect and uh yeah I've, i've thought about different ways to do this but um you know it's it's uh it is tricky. And I and, and I <laughs> I like the question because it's like making me dive deeper
0: into that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a good question for you. It's a good question for us as a community. And I think, Trevor, what you hit on with fear is huge because I think there's a couple things. One is that's actually part of what makes parkour so profound. I think it's the most the most effective way to study your own fear and response to fear. And I've thought about this a lot because I'm a martial artist too, right? And it's like stepping in to, against somebody. And you know, maybe if I've competed more in kickboxing, I I might have a slightly different perspective. But like I've I've sparred a lot of people and I've had some heavy sparring sessions, and and I've competed in jujitsu and was a, I was a bouncer for years. But there's something about the fact that like in 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 martial arts or in even football the scary things tend to happen dynamically right they happen within the flow of play and so you don't have time to think deeply about them
3: Mm.
0: yeah but before you you approach the thing right and you look at it (laughs) it's not like you get hit while you're trying to avoid getting hit right it's like you decide that you're going to go through that fear yeah and when you do that you get to like see yourself in your response to fear in a way that no nothing else provides a lens for and so it would be a disservice to parkour in some sense to try to strip that out of it because it's i think it's what makes it such a profound teacher but on the other hand So it's like we need we need people we need to communicate to people how much value that is that if you know what it is to really experience fear in your body and you know what it is to overcome that fear that that's a skill that will that will help you everywhere in your life if you learn how to use it or if you intentionally transfer it yeah
2: Like think about how important that is is right now. Like we're living in a time where fear is pretty prevalent, and I'd say it's it's uh, there's a there's probably part of the reason why it's that way is because our culture avoids fearful situations as at all costs, and we willfully put ourselves there, and you can see that playing out.
0: You guys watched my most recent, or actually, if you go back and watch my first conversation with. With Sebastian Foucault, who is one of the pioneers of parkour, he talks about that. He's like, My attitude towards COVID is different than other people's because parkour taught me not to be ruled by fear.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I'll wear a mask and I'll do this and I'll do that, but I'm not going to change these things about my life. They're most important to me because I refuse to be ruled by fear. And they um, really resonate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go <laughs> down that rabbit hole. Because it's a really it's a, it's a broken conversation. It's hard to unbreak. Um, but uh, but I think that in general we are a culture that has failed. I think about go to a playground and watch the way parents interact with children, or teachers go to a school, right? And watch a kid fall down and watch, watch the parent run up and oh my God, are you okay? And you can see that this, so often if you watch and you pay attention, what you'll see is that a child will look to the parent, they'll look to the caretaker to give them a cue to the severity of what happened. But if your reaction is is a big fear thing, then their reaction will be a big fear thing. And so I think about this is we're actually educating fear into our children. Rather than inoculating them against fear. So when I when my kids fall down, like if they, you know, if they fell from a great height and landed on their head, like I would be running over scared, right? But when they fall in a way that they're not likely to have been badly injured, the first thing I say to them is, you're all right, right? Right. And if they're not, they can tell me, no, dad, I'm, I'm you know, I'm upset or I'm scared or that hurt, and then I'll pick them up and I'll nurture them. But my first thing is always to give them the option to be okay. And, um, and I just think that as a culture, we've gone so far from that. I mean, we don't, we just, we don't value courage nearly enough. So that's a, that's my rant.
1: <laughs> I agree, man. I agree. And I, I think like just the most ba- like I, I grew up a, a very fearful kid for whatever reason in that definitely transferred over into adulthood as well like I'm just have like general fear towards like anything like I'll be like oh like I don't want to open my mail email inbox today like what am I going to find in there you know just stupid stuff like that but like after you do something in parkour just like Overcoming a simple fear or a big fear, right? Even sometimes it's just like very small, but when you overcome that, it's like you just feel so open to the world, and you you feel so uh like what 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 can touch you for the rest of the day, right? You're good, and um, yeah, I I, I think like that needs to be to be shared more, and that that if people could understand that about parkour, I think you know. Well, I don't know if it would be more popular actually, but, um, it would be, uh, it would be more valuable to more people, I think. And also to understand like the process of overcoming this fear, it's not like you get up, you look at this huge jump, you're so scared to jump. And then like, you just do it. Right. It's like, there's these processes that, um, like, that's what I really love about, uh, the, the good parkour videos like Stora and, and uh, modus is like a, a lot of the time you show the the process of like getting to the actual challenge, and it takes a while, and it's uh it, it's it's so valuable to see, and it's so valuable to go through.
0: Yeah, you know, more media that tells the story of the experience, right? Um, Jimmy the Giant has a good YouTube channel on parkour, and you talked about the idea that like parkour was a Parkour spread via YouTube. Right? I'm part of the pre-YouTube generation of parkour, but it was really once YouTube happened that it went big. And it was like, um, there was a video from Oleg Voroslav, Vince Clan, uh, that that was like the first big video, that was absolutely viral. It was uh, called Russian Climbing on all these different, um, you know, all these different content aggregator sites. Called it Russian Climbing. So if you ask people who started parkour for like two years, I was like, "Oh, I saw that video. and started parkour." Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we had that video. We had we had YouTube, and and like we all became really good at creating three minute edits, right? Of just mm. banger movement, and that was what the out that was that was what was naturally viral before there really was an algorithm, and it was actually like the biggest source of traffic on YouTube was parkour for a long time. And then YouTube decided they wanted to compete with Netflix, and so they they pushed everything into how long a video was, and so the the amount of of of, uh, of views that these top YouTube channels would get would just would just like you know store went from a million views to like ten thousand views on a video. Um, and everyone, and this was like back in 2013, and everyone had invested in these super high quality cameras to produce in cinematic level videos. And, right. then YouTube it. and then it's taken like 10 years for the parkour community to figure out how to tell a story that's compelling enough to keep the audience coming back for 10 minutes. And that's what Storer has done better than anybody else, right? Yep. And then Jimmy the Giant's really come along and, and figured out how to, how to manipulate the algorithm but it's story that's really interesting because they're they're showing the human side and that's that's where the culture of an activity that's where a kid comes in and wants to adopt it because not only do they want the skills but they want to be like the people that they see
1: yep exactly yeah yeah and then you know what else is really popular on YouTube is uh, uh transformation videos and uh you know the 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 thing that those have in common is that you get to see the before and you get to see the process of like getting from this, like not having the thing to getting to, to having the thing. And, uh, I think just innately to human beings, that's really interesting to watch and it's really motivating, I think as well.
0: That's the that's story, right? Yeah. story. Exactly. Of, like I had a motivation and I, and I did something. And then I, I, I had struggle. There has to be struggle, right? Yes, yes. And then I got there. Because that encodes the type of information that helps you actually act in the world. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what, what is the, the big thing for you right now? Where, where are you going in your personal practice? And um, what what's exciting for you? start with uh trevor since you haven't talked a little bit <clears throat> uh,
2: man right now uh actually getting just just getting deeper into parkour i think um you know as i was listening to you guys talk about that, that this um something came to mind i think that competency is really addicting and i think that's like part of this um culturally maybe part of the reason why people don't take the leap into some of these um fringe sports that we're interested in is because they're they're completely new they don't have they don't have reference points to be able to like pull from in these things that's you're gonna have to start from from the ground up no matter who you are and so um and so like i i think part of my pursuit is just looking for places that are that i feel very incompetent and because of that i'm very scared to to move into it I think like part of this too is um, I think part of like uh, you know thinking about like fear and competency I know that um, one of the scariest things I did recently was I took a breakdancing class with our buddy Alex and uh, and I had to hop in the cypher and it was mm-hmm. like a, it, it was like I wasn't a beginner class I hopped right into like with all with all the real you know breakers and and man, that was, uh, it was exhilarating. It was, the, it was so scary. And like, I walked away from it. Not really sure how I felt about like what happened there, but ultimately knowing that like, that's something I need to explore. And, uh, and like, that's, that's how I, that's what like guides my training now is, is putting myself into those experiences and then deciding whether that's a pursuit that I want to take. And so parkour is that thing right now for me.
0: Yeah. I think about this idea of there's two kind of traps that, that I think about in, in any practice actually, but like building an ecology practice, I call them the generalist trap and the, um, the specialist trap. So the specialist trap is getting comfortable being competent, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I do um, Aikido, right? And I get good at it and it's beautiful and it's flowing. And then I go and do karate and I feel like a, a dunce. And it's like, well, I can go do my Aikido, right? Mm. Um, parkour, right? You can be like great at parkour. You try to dance and you're terrible. And it's like, well, I'm just going to go to parkour. I know I'm good at it. Um, I think often it's people who are less, who or at least have a story of themselves as less physically talented, who once they reach, a level of competence in something it's really hard to want to go adopt something else because mm. because they're gonna they're gonna have to go back to that really high anxiety state of being a novice it's a great flip side yeah the flip side is you have people who who find that they're naturally talented and they pick up things easily or at least that's the story that they have about themselves so what they face is that when they get to the point at which it's hard to progress in any one activity it's always easy to go to the next thing. It's like I started mountain biking with my friends. I was one of the best right away. I was doing it for a while, but now I've had a couple scary falls. the guys that I want to do it with now who, who the guys who are at my level are pushing harder and they want to go big and it's like, but you know, i started snowboarding and I'm pretty good at that too. so I'm just going to do that for a while. So I've seen these guys who like bounce from thing to thing to thing. And they're fun to hang out with because they can kind of do anything. They can just yeah. just, yeah, we'll go do it. But I sense this lack of depth because there's something about staying with a practice after it's gotten hard that's very developmental. And it's like, that's the people who I prize are the people who who like they've gone and played with lots of different things. And then they found something that, that I like, I will give my life to this. And when they give their life to it, it's like, that's they get that character transformation.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's such a good
0: balance to find, yeah. Yeah, and then it's just a question of like, what is the thing that lights you up so that you'll do it even when it's hard? exactly yeah it's like movement in nature that's like parkour in nature i will i will i will keep coming back to that and it doesn't mean that everybody has to keep coming back to that but that's the thing that's gonna it's gonna keep lighting me up and i know it and it'll motivate me to practice and everything else can kind of be pulled along with it
1: absolutely yeah
0: very good cool <laughs>
3: um, yeah
0: so we are coming to the end of the time that we for our uh, chat and then we're gonna we're gonna close the live stream for those of you watching on youtube and we're gonna go to a uh, private q a with everybody who's in our online academy who wanted to join in so if you want to be part of that should be some links in the description to join us um Trevor and Josh will be back on Monday next week with a session on movements for you to master All right
1: that's right can I add something Rafe I yeah. really this is like one of the podcasts that I listen to every week so if you're here from strength side um, tune in here this is this
0: is one of my favorite podcasts over the last year awesome thank you so much Josh um yeah anything people should know about uh, any project you guys have coming up uh, no, no.
1: Check us out on the movement summit and you can, uh, just st- search strength side into, uh, YouTube and check out a video and, uh, you know, that description box has tons of links.
0: Very good. Awesome. Yeah. It's a pleasure to speak with you guys. It's been so much fun getting to know you guys and having you guys. as students. So, uh, I look forward to seeing you on Monday and then seeing you guys at the fall retreat. So that's going to be the last. Sorry. so that's uh that's all for the folks on youtube so go ahead and close us out bobby and uh take us to the q a hey you reached the end of another Involved Move play podcast if you enjoyed what you heard if you want to be involved in the conversation please consider joining us in our new membership subscription so you can get access to question and answers with our live speakers once a month question and answers with me once a month and a dedicated forum to discuss everything going on in the podcast, as well as a general discussion of movement on our general movement forums. If you're interested in that, make sure to check out the link below, get signed up and join a part of our membership community. If you can not join our membership community right now, it's still always helpful if you can like, share and subscribe and even hit that bell and get notifications for upcoming Evolve Move Play podcasts. But audio's for now, and we'll see you next time. Thanks guys.